Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So I have a very important question for you, Samantha. Oh, no. Yes. The most important question. Okay, here we go. Are you a shipper? Okay, so I don't... <laughs> I didn't know what that was for the longest time. Uh-huh. And I took that very literally. And I was like, like ships? Like, I, I like ships. I, mm-hmm. I need a ship. I don't... I mean, do I don't, you like ships also? I mean, no, because I get very, very like motion sick. So the idea uh-huh. of being on a ship is terrifying to me. And just because, you know, all I think of is diseases, like cruises, cruise ships and diseases. So... And murders in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, no. But that that I know what it actually is, which is meaning putting people together in relationship, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) See, I had to ask again because I'm like, I'm not one of those cool kids. What the hell does this mean? So no. (laughs) Very long answer. No, because I had no idea what that was. Now, do I like couples that are Mm -hmm. given to me? Like I know that, yes. So, and some of them don't make sense and feel forced, but, you know. Hmm. But So, are you, like, watching a show and there's two characters and you just, you want them to get together? Or do you sort of just sort of go with it? I think typically I go with it. Now, to be fair, SVU, for the longest time, I did want Olivia and Stabler. Elliot and mm. Olivia, they should have gotten together, but they really shouldn't have because you can't work like that. And they, you know... <laughs> But to me, Olivia was just so alone. And her closest connection was him. Mm -hmm. So it only made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Did you know anyone else that shared that viewpoint? Oh, so many people. So many people. Which is why, even though, you know, it is a cop show, people are still excited that Elliot Stabler is coming back. He's having a, a, he's getting his own show. Okay. And people are going to be like a crossover. Oh, I probably because it's definitely another law. You know, Law and Order has like 15 shows, and this is one more of those. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to be a crossover. And anytime they do like cross social media, people freak out. Uh I am one of those people. (laughs) It's true. One more follow up question Does, Does this couple have a name, like a ship name? See, that never happened in my generation. I don't think. Oh, really? Uh, that wasn't a thing. Who was the most famous couple that has? I don't know. I, I always think of Brangelina. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Brangelina. So that is in my time frame. But I think that was just so dumb because I also was not team Brangelina. Okay. I was what, team Brad and team? Jennifer. I was too. So <laughs> that whole, like that just has a negative connotation to me. Mm, mm-hmm. okay. So obviously, since you're t- asking me these questions, Yes. You, and I know this because of your fan fiction, you ship, <laughs> you ship pretty hard, don't you? I, it's so funny to me um, because as I've said before, I am not a romantic person. Like I don't watch rom-coms. It's not my thing. It's almost always my least favorite part of any entertainment because I'm just not into it. Um, but recently, I don't know why. <laughs> I have started shipping things. And I think I ship things that I can tell is never going to happen. I don't know. uh, Because it feels almost like a safer thing or or more fun to imagine. 
Um, is, it, is it more like a conspiracy theory type of? Yeah, they're actually together, even though they're not going to say it out loud. But if you watch <laughs> their actions, they're together. That type of yes. thing. Yes. Well, I, I've had an in-depth discussion recently with a lot of people about um, particularly Star Wars. Yeah. Mm. And Surprise. Uh, well, sure, yeah. But <laughs> Luke and, and Han and that, I've started shipping that and I have no idea why. Um, and I... So today we're we're talking about queer baiting, and when I think about the difference to me and what queer baiting is and isn't, because there is a huge debate over it, is intention. And I I've, I don't feel like the writers ever meant for anybody to interpret that Han and Luke were going to be together. You know what I mean? Right. So it doesn't feel like a conspiracy so much as, but he he rushed off into the. Blizzard on Hoth to save him in body heat. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. We saw it. <laughs> I've seen it several times now. So many Have times you? now. <laughs> yes, yes. You're the best. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we are talking about the contentious term of queer baiting, which is something that has been on my mind for a while. Um, and I have found myself falling into these relationships that get brought up in this conversation a lot. Dean and Cassiel from Supernatural, Destiel is probably the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, example given. Oh, is um, it? Oh, yes. Now, don't get me wrong. Before I even started watching it, and now I have... It's one of my regulars, now my rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, you did tell me this. You, This was the first thing you told me. And, and, and then when I was introduced to Castiel on the show. I was like, oh, there he is. And you're like, just wait. Just wait. <laughs> and then they even have an episode where they dedicate to the fact that that is a theory. Yeah, the fan fiction episode, yes, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, they're probably the biggest example. And it's one of those things where, again, I, I'm kind of oblivious almost when it comes to romantic singles. Uh, Samantha, you know this. I just miss a lot of context a lot. Yeah. But the fact that I picked up on Destiel without the internet, I think that is that says something. I, I was like, these two characters, something's going on here. This is a little... <laughs> I can see them getting together. Dean even says he loves him. Anyway, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the signs are there, Samantha. The signs are there. Apparently. Yes, yes. Um, and then I I got really caught up in Finn and Poe for a hot minute from Star Wars, which is called Storm Pilot. That's the shipping name for that. And oh. I really wanted them to end up together. Um, and I could go on such a deep dive, and I kind of did in our two-part fan fiction episodes on why this whole thing is where why are we so eager, or at least it, uh, some segment of us, <laughs> to put two male characters together? Um, I don't know if you know this, Samantha, because you're not in the fan fiction world like I am, but Slash, it just makes up a huge, huge portion of fan fiction, and it's mostly written by women, and it's two men together. What's Slash? Um, oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Because okay. you you indicate with the the slash, so it would be Dean slash Castiel. Yeah. Oh, see, so yeah, yeah, that's not how I. Okay, I'm glad you told me that because I would have interpreted it as a different thing. Like they're the oh. same person, one and the same, <laughs> but not necessarily a relationship. And oh, or okay. is either or. 
Okay. Yeah, well, I, I'm happy to share my fan fiction knowledge at any point. So, <laughs> um, I actually, I feel like I could do a 10-part series on this, and I want to talk about it so much. But if, if I do it in a kind of a nutshell, I think one of the, the main reasons is there are more male characters. They're traditionally more well-developed. The male body is less politicized than the female body in a plethora of ways. Uh, and then the lack of platonic relationships, particularly between men and women in our media, but also men and men. Um, and so any type of closeness, I feel like we automatically interpret it as romantic because it usually is. But um, the truth remains that some companies and creators tease a queer relationship and never actually give it. And it's become a hot topic of debate. And uh, I've, I've seen it in uh, so, so many things. And, and oh, anyway, uh, another piece of this, I, I know I'm seeing things, like I said, where writers didn't intend it, like in Han and Luke is the best example, because I just feel like there's no way they thought all these women <laughs> would latch on to that. Right. Um, and I know I brought up before um, how my gay, my male gay friends have said that this makes them uncomfortable, that they feel like they can't have platonic relationships with a man without it being misinterpreted by somebody. And I, I would love to, to hear from gay listeners with your thoughts and experiences about this. Um, I know for me personally, when I hadn't really come out as bi, but I had been with men and women, there was sort of this assumed sluttiness that I must be attracted to everyone. Right. And um, it was really problematic and it, it made me very uncomfortable. And and I had more than one dude, he would come up to me and say, well, you kissed her, so you must be down to kiss me. What? Mm -hmm. um, so yes, please, listeners, write in your thoughts about that, your experiences with that. But okay, let's start with a definition. Essentially, queer baiting is what it sounds like. It's when creators and corporations lure LGBTQ plus audiences with the promise of a queer relationship, and then that queer relationship never happens. Queer baiting is usually between two male characters. Again, that could be because most of our developed characters are male, but not always. Queer baiting is a way for our entertainment to appeal to the masses while also safely bringing in LGBTQ plus characters. So sort of like a like kind of backhanded way of trying to have your cake and eat it too, to not offend anybody. Right. Um, some see queer baiting as a lack of representation leading to misinterpretation. Some see it as a calculated strategy. Like, these storylines are never going to pay off. They never intended for them to pay off. Others see it as a way for companies to use queer people as almost pawns in profitability. It's a big tease. The creators put in this subtext that is never going to amount to anything. Yeah. Um, GLAD's 2017 to 2018 report found that about 6.4% of television's main characters were LGBTQ+. So that's not that many. And just, I, I, would, I would ask, take a moment to absorb how not only disappointing, but painful 
that is. It's toying with a community that doesn't frequently see themselves represented and then almost ridiculing people in that community for thinking that that relationship could ever have been queer, that you could ever have interpreted it that way. It's almost gaslighting. Like, mm-hmm. how, how, how did you see this, you silly fan? You're reading too much into it. Um, some of these relationships are openly made fun of by creators, and the overall message is representation of these relationships is worth less than the risk of offending any homophobic audience member. Right. And I would add that it seems like it fetishizes that in general, the LGBTQ population in general, which is harmful in every way. Let's just yeah. go ahead and put fetishizing anything is harmful, but it does do that. And that's, you're, they're using it as a way to make profit, which is gross. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. But a very brief history. In the 1990s, companies started going after what was called the pink dollar or gay patronage. Some experts argue the merit of this idea. Either way, Queer baiting stemmed from the corporate desire to market to LGBTQ plus audiences while not, once again, deterring any homophobic viewers having their cake, like you said, and eating it too. So got to have it all, want all the audience, so got to say in that fine line. Mm-hmm. So queer baiting has a long history, but it's, in its more modern sense, it goes back to, quote, gay window advertising in the 1980s or using subtle elements to draw in the LGBTQ plus crowd. Some scholars also call this gay vague. There's also ho-yay yeah, or homoeroticism. Yay! Uh, which was first coined in 2001, which is more closely related to queer coding or reading. More on that in a second. But in the early 1980s, it was used in the U.S. courts to describe homophobic rhetoric. Its current meaning most likely originates on Tumblr as early as the 90s. So another part of this is called situational homosexuality. Essentially, the absence of characters of one gender means that people read a certain amount of same-sex eroticism. However, many modern-day researchers think the term is archaic, that it could apply to things like prisons, a temporary state, sort of like, quote, I experimented in college. Right, as if it's only just based on the situation. It was just a stage. It was just a stage in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are a lot a lot of aspects to unpack in all of that, and we will. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So... Let's let's return again to supernatural, which I do think is probably the biggest example, modern day it. current example of this. That's good. If we look at it specifically, some have argued that when creators leaned into Destiel, which is again these the two main characters, Dean and Castiel, their ratings went up. And the nature of that show, and that it is very self-aware and very meta. There's like fan fiction about. That it's kind of confusing to explain, but I love seeing people's faces when I try to explain this. Basically, they're they're sort of semi-famous in this world, in this fake world, and people write fan fiction about them. Right, but so, it's a cult, and it seems like it's mainly like young. Yes. Oh, uh, oh, Becky, girl. who she is the like biggest fan of of Supernatural within the world, which is like a series of books. Um, she is like the most stereotypical fan fiction girl that they could have written. They did her dirty, um, by the way. They, they did. did, dirty. They did. Um, 
So because it is that way, because it is very self-aware and very meta, there's a lot of room for creators to address these things, to directly address their, the fan culture, the fandom around Supernatural. While at the same time, sometimes mocking and dismissing them, the actors also play with it at conventions and in bloopers, this Dean and Castiel relationship. So they know about it, and they leaned into it, but there's still kind of a mockery of it. They can make fun of themselves in general, but yeah, they definitely, and especially the earlier episodes, the kind of homophobic yeah. lines and, and taglines, it's kind of, it's sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I will fight anyone. I think Dean is bisexual. I don't care what the creators say, but uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> I like that you get the one that is the most like, as as he puts it in the show, because I, I just rewatched this episode where they are, where the brothers are actually confused in being in a relationship, yes. and they're like, That's "Why do they think we're gay?" Dean's like, "Why do we? Why do they think we're gay?" And uh, Sam, I can't believe I'm saying this. Sam's response is, "Maybe you're butch. You're overcompensating. Is that why <laughs> you think that? Oh, is that wow. the reasoning? No, it's it's odd because." If you if a show goes on long enough, which just this show is like fifteen years old, right? There's gonna be inconsistencies with the character because he is presented as like this alpha male, always with the ladies, um, right. womanizer, womanizer, definitely. Uh, and you know he he like listens to hard rock and he's classic rock and he just got his oh, car. So not, and it's cares not hard about rock. rock. It's no. classic rock. Classic rock. I don't know. I can't really put my finger on why I okay. think it. And but before I do. we get too hard into Supernatural and everybody's like, what the hell are y'all doing? This is not <laughs> minty. <laughs> Would you say Crowley and Dean were also a ship? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And yes, Crowley pretty much talks about being, I think he's bisexual. He kind of leans into that. Mm-hmm. But I anyway. there was a whole like triangle. Castiel, Crowley, Dean. Yes. All right. Okay. okay. We've talked about Let's Supernatural a lot. Ooh. Here's the... Probably the other biggest example um, is the BBC show Sherlock. I don't think you could read one article about queer baiting and not come across this. Um, And it is shipping of the two main characters, John Watson and Sherlock Holmes, which is called John Locke. Which, by the way, again, this is where I'm like, what? What's happening? What? (laughs) I don't understand what's happening. Because I love that show. I love that show. That was one of the ones that I was always into. And Mm -hmm. like, I know the conversation came up that Sherlock may be gay or bisexual uh, because he's never been with women or been Mm -hmm. with anyone, quote unquote. Uh, It's specifically women. But I never, like, I know there's that underlying joke because they're always together. So everybody assumes they're together, which, by the way, once again, is kind of like, why can't they just be friends? Yeah. In the story, but yeah, I, I didn't. I never saw that. It's one of those things where once you look at and and Samantha, believe me, you can find you know gifts, just pages of gifts, like see the proof. Um, once you see it, it's hard to unsee. Um, they definitely stand real like way too close to each other a lot, like face to face. And I know, I don't really remember it. It's been so long since I watched it. But I know there was like Moriarty is sometimes criticized as being painted as like the evil gay trope. Right. Kind of like a disturbed individual. Um, 
And I know there was something along with that that people often point to. And and yeah, as you were saying, I, I do see the point that because of the, the lack of representation, um, I, don't, I mean, this is also, you could argue, very true about our, our society in the real world where, where men aren't allowed to have these emotional, deeply platonic relationships without them being read as romance. Um, the same is true for female characters. Again, I think, I, I know I mentioned it in a past episode, if, if, if Luke had in fact been a woman, I'm telling you, you would have been like it would have been meant to be interpreted that way. Um, people would read their relationship between John and Sherlock as romantic if one of them was male and the other female, or at least a lot more people would. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it boils down to we don't have a lot of representation, we don't have a lot of diversity of stories being told, and relationships and complex, nuanced relationships. And I think that's changing, but right now we're we're just so desperate for these stories. So we're finding them where we can or writing them. And I will come back to the importance of fan fiction and all this in a minute. Um, And John Locke is a great example where there are all these in-show jokes that they are a couple that show acknowledging what fans want, teasing it, but then nothing happens. Um, There are even references to Sherlock Moriarty fan fiction that are derided in the show. Uh, the creator, Stephen Moffat, went out of his way to say in an interview in terms of whether or not Sherlock was asexual, it's the choice of a monk, not the choice of an asexual. If he was asexual, there would be no tension in that, no fun in that. It's someone who abstains who's interesting. Um, and he gets criticized a lot in this whole, kind of his response to people wanting that. Right. Or seeing it, because... I've read interviews where he's like, well, I can't believe anyone would read it that way. And then I've read some where it's clear that he knows and is sort of making fun of it. Yeah, and he just doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Right, so there are also other shows in entertainment that include shows like House, uh, The O.C., Merlin, Riverdale, and Rizzoli and Isles, and among so many others, uh, Solo, a Star Wars story too, by the way. Um, Some classics... Yes, and I remember this because I remember it was so shocking to me in my very, very, very conservative household because I watched the show Gabrielle and Xena from Xena Warrior Princess. I think that mm-hmm. was the first, like, I was like, oh, what's happening? Oh, this is not, what? <laughs> um, then, of course, we have the Madonna and Britney kissing at the MTV Music Awards. I think that would be definitely one of the big queer baiting things because there was a lot of controversy of like, what is this? Why are you doing this? As well yeah. as... People always forget that uh, Christina Aguilera was there, too. And she kissed her. I don't know if you knew that. They were both on stage with her. Yes. Also, Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, which also has other connotations because she had been in this very religious lifestyle before Mm. she became, well, well well-known, which was always kind of like, huh, interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. From what I remember, which I feel like a lot of pop Female singers came from that kind of genre anyway. Mm-hmm. And then Rita Ora's song, Girls, the new one, uh, because you know what? Sex sells. And there was that huge debate about why they're doing all of this or why it's such a new fad, it seems. Um, and the capitalization of pride. Companies are getting in on it. And as we've seen, when you get sponsored yeah, in a pride parade, it's really kind of weird. Um, essentially doing the same thing, not actually committing to representation, but wanting queer patronage. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen a lot of argument about this with like 
kind of the annoyance with companies that just are like, here's a rainbow-colored cupcake, happy pride. Right. Um, like, right. It, you know, there's, there's debate, at least that's happening and companies are appreciating the importance of it, but it feels so, like, superficial and shallow. What else are you doing? Right. <laughs> I mean, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the Black Lives Matter movement and, like, people do the one black tile. And, like, wait, but your yeah. company is not showing that in hi- right. your hiring processes and all of this. Yes. And it's the same way. You're showing this uh, pride flag. Do you have representation in your company? Have you had it? Do you actually acknowledge that that needs to be a part of your diversity? Hello? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess... Speaking of of singers, Ariana Grande got accused of queer rating in her song Monopoly, which is a collaboration with Victoria Monet, um, when she sang about liking men and women. Taylor Swift's video, You Need to Calm Down, of course, caused a huge debate about where was she before this, and it's sort of... It just feels like capitalizing. And there's, there's a certain degree, too, where... People in entertainment, they are trying to make money. They are trying to profit, but it can feel so gross. <laughs> and like, but what else have you done? What else are you doing? Um, and some people, it's, we should say, view the very existence of queer baiting as progress. That queer baiting, the term, wouldn't exist without at least some queer acceptance and examples in our media. There's also a debate about erasure versus labeling. Like, some some argue that it shouldn't be that you have to explicitly label, oh, this is a gay couple, and then it becomes, at least unfortunately right now, it becomes their defining thing. Like, right. that is all about them, and they're not really complex or nuanced other than that. So that's another piece of this. Right, and I think when you see, because Ariana Grande was uh, in two debates, the Monopoly song and another one where the video... Uh, where she's talking about getting together with a dude, ends up in the end of the video kissing a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... I've, I've seen more criticism on that because obviously that wasn't necessarily a part of the song. Right. Um, and then you have Monopoly where she people felt like she actually came out as bi or pansexual yeah. and people celebrated that. So it was really interesting to see the two levels of like, okay, who and what dictates if this should be celebrated or if this should be condemned. Right. And I mean, interesting conversation. It does come up in a lot of things we talk about where it's always important to remind yourself no community is a monolith and there should should be healthy debate. And that's good. I do think it's good that it's happening. But yeah, you can see it definitely in things like that with Ariana Grande. Right. Um, uh, There's also a difference between queer baiting and ship teasing. Uh, Ship teasing, which I didn't know until just now, (laughs) is different. (laughs) Because at least one person in question is canonically queer. Also, there's a problem with only defining relationships through physical things like sex. I.e., it's queer baiting if a same-sex couple doesn't have sex, but are clearly together in other ways. Yeah, that's caused a lot of debate, too, of... Well, we never saw them have sex, but there there are other ways to be in relationships. More representation, the through line through this whole episode, but right. that is problematic too when you're saying, well, you're not in a relationship because you never had sex. Right. Um, and and just to to clarify for people who aren't as big a big nerds as I am, canon is the accepted uh like not fan fiction, this is what happened. So they acknowledge, oh, this character is gay. It's canon. Instead of me being like, 
but Dean and he's bisexual and it's just me <laughs> and a lot of other people, but not creators. <laughs> um, oh, uh, so queer coding is also a different thing. And this I didn't know about until we did this episode. Mary-Kate McAlpine over at Medium wrote about Hot Fuzz in particular, and I got to watch it for the first time. It was some of the best research I've ever had. Um, and th- so this is the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost film, which was a 2007 action comedy that was the second in the so-called Cornetto trilogy. In the editing of the script, they got rid of uh, the love interest, the, the female love interest, and made the conscious decision to leave in those scenes with the overlying romantic interest between the two male characters. Um, or at least it, it can definitely be read that way. And and one of the creators, they've acknowledged it, celebrated it. Um, <laughs> they, they're all for you shipping it. Uh, and they never... One thing that makes this example in particular different is they never make fun of. There's never the moment of like, "Are you too gay?" or something like it's not. It's just not mentioned. Um, so that is queer coding. This to say, queer baiting sometimes gets leveled at fandoms where the relationships don't go the way fans want, which I feel like happens a lot, especially towards yes. the end of a series. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Um, there's some contention around whether we can assume what the creators intended and what we wanted, and. That was worsened when creators and actors played into the trope and people saw an evil plot. <laughs> I had to do it yeah. that way. Sorry. Um, <laughs> ships can be a very risky business. The question becomes, are we queer baiting ourselves? Are we so desperate for representation and we're seeing it where it isn't? And are we dismissing canon couples because we want to ship another couple so badly and we'll see no evidence otherwise? Annie, do you? Do you? <laughs> I think I'm a very flexible, I, I can admit, I don't know, I'm not very possessive or controlling, which I, I think is the way to be of entertainment. And I'll be like, you know what? I can recognize it was never meant to go this way, but it's fun to think about. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, some called this slash goggles. Yes. So uh, <laughs> fandoms, can they can be very... Um, protective of stuff that they care about. And um, there can be a level of, like, infighting and gatekeeping and entitlement. And uh, I know for some people you're thinking, what? Because I feel you probably won't encounter this unless you do go online and look up fan fiction or forums or whatever. But believe me, it's there. And people will... Like, one of the most prominent examples to me is... um, People, at least in the fan fiction world, really don't like Jenny Weasley. And they'll think you're stupid for even thinking they should be a couple because they so badly wanted things to go a different way. And that's different from queer baiting. And and so some people believe we use queer baiting way too much for we really just wanted things to go a different way. Right. And they didn't. (laughs) I mean, Um, people had a hard time. They really wanted... uh... Harry and Hermione to be together. They did. My mom wanted that too. And that was one of the cutest things because she's also not like a super, she doesn't ship or, <laughs> I was just surprised when she said that. She was like, I thought they should have ended up together. Well, they kind of changed the relationship between Neville Longbottom and Luna Lovegood from the books to the movies. Because in the books, they don't ever get together. But in the movie, they do. Yeah, I think they they do get together, but it's like not, 
Yeah, it's not in the books. Like, you would have to read something else Well, you would hope that it would be that, but they actually made it happen in the books. And I feel like that's definitely something that was a fan hope Mm -hmm. more than it was actually written. Oh, well, that's an interesting point, too, of, like, fan service. And, uh, I mean, Star Wars comes up in so much of this because it is this huge, as we talked about, this huge franchise. Right. And so, like, there was a debate around the same-sex kiss at the end of the newest one. And some people were like, well, celebrating it. Other people were like, that is so... We don't even know who those characters are. (laughs) um, So there is that aspect of it, too. Ah, there's a lot to unpack here. So many. So many things. But before we can do that, we have to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. back. Thank you, sponsor. Uh, And just some concluding thoughts. One, as promised, I wanted to touch on fan fiction for a second. I would talk about fan fiction. If I had another podcast, it would be just fan fiction. Um, I have talked about how powerful it is, and most people who write fan fiction are women, are young girls, queer, um, from marginalized communities because they, we were seeing this space where we weren't being represented, so we went and made it. And it gets mocked and derided and ridiculed, but I think it's this beautiful creative space. And so if you're, if you're shipping someone and it's not working out for you, there's fan fiction for it, I guarantee you. <laughs> and you can always write, write the fan fiction. Now, of course, this isn't the same thing as seeing representation explicit representation in the entertainment we consume um, in movies and television and books. But I just, I feel like it's really telling that we make fun of fan fiction and particularly young women writing it as if they're silly. And I mean, the, the fear mongering around it, you wouldn't believe it, Samantha. Like there's like a panic around young girls writing fan fiction and what does it mean and sexuality and oh my God. And um, I think that's very telling. Well, I mean, we know Twilight began as fan fiction. Yes. It's a Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, as well as, it wasn't Fifty Shades of Grey fan fiction? Yes. The most hilarious thing about this to me is, so Twilight was a Harry Potter fan fiction. Right. And then Fifty Shades of Grey is a Twilight fan fiction. Right. And there was infighting between them, or at least I, I seem to recall where one of them was like, you can't do that. It's like, well, that's what you did. <laughs> um, and each, each has its own success. And yes. also some, they made a lot of money and they made careers and you do you. At the same time, there's this whole underlying idea of <laughs> fear of sex and fear yes. of sexuality. Yes. And it's both of those things. But whatever, whatnot. Um, and you're right. It kind of one-upped each other, it felt like. Yeah. It's funny. I I have read so much fan fiction. There's sort of lore about certain fan fictions. Like, there's fan fiction about this fan fiction. And I knew that one that got turned into Twilight. I never read it, but I remember seeing it. <laughs> oh, really? Everyone kind of knew about it. And then there's a whole, like, supernatural fan fiction universe where people have taken characters created in that universe and written about them. 
Um, so, well, that was whole Becky. Like she made a career, yeah, of being a fan fiction writer. Yeah, and that's actually easier to do than you might think these days. The copyright part can get interesting. But. Um, and I would also say, because some people have been like, well, write your own thing. Like, don't take someone else's idea. It's a hobby. It's not like, you know, if you like to play soccer, I'm not going to tell you, well, go professional then. Like, you're wasting your time. Right. Um, it's just, it's a also, hobby. inspiration comes from different things. And yeah. why wouldn't it come from something that you love? Yes. It's a beautiful, transformed space where fans get to kind of play in the same sandbox and it's nice because you all start from that shared love of this thing and you don't have to right. explain the world it's already there and you right. could just go on um, although apparently you don't have control of your world no the ending is so tragic why <laughs> <laughs> my fan fiction you you all I've gotten to the end well I haven't written it but I know how it ends and it is the saddest thing I've ever <laughs> oh wow <laughs> brutal Han and Luke will never be happy together. Never. Um, which Who I guess is? is kind of a segue into the, my next point is I do think it's it's worth remembering that there is other love than romantic love and I, I would love for us to see that more in our media. Um, right. For me, growing up not having tons of boyfriends and relationships, I most loved and treasured all of the books and or movies that were about my friends. And of course, it's not as accepted with men unless you're being misogynistic together and mm -hmm. being dumb, it seems. Again, that's a stereotype, but that's what the big movie hits are if you look at like Hangover and all of those movies. Mm -hmm. But for me, like I related the most, I think my all-time favorite book growing up was Just As Long As We're Together. So it was a book written by Judy Bloom, which I loved because it was about three girls coming of age. And of course, I also loved it because it was there was an Asian adopted child into mm -hmm. this book. And, it, and I felt very, very, very represented for the first time ever. Um, and it was one of my favorite things. And I, I loved that idea of friendship. And I think that's why I loved uh, the shows like Sex and the City. I really, really clung to... Now, there's so many problematic things in that show, mm -hmm. but really clung to those friendships and just the relationships that they had with each other and knowing that they would be together. Like, that was the types of things that I loved because that's what I related with most. Yeah, and it's unfortunate to see that every time you see any relationship, it has to be romantic no matter what. That somehow is yeah. being ruined by romance. <laughs> romance ruins everything. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, and I... I uh, the We just need to see more. We need to see more platonic relationships and love, and we need to see relationships between queer people, groups of queer people, and then queer people and straight people. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot of things at play here. Um, and one other thing I read in a lot of articles is, is it's really difficult to know what a creator intended. And so it's really hard unless the creator flat out says, oh, I never meant for this. It can, it's hard to say what they originally meant. And there's also the aspect of that, that who gets to own, like if, if, if I want to see Destiel, like, isn't that my prerogative? Right. <laughs> um, and it's that explicit uh, representation is very, very important. But that comes up a lot in whether or not queer baiting 
is as big a thing. Um, and the argument around, like, some people think it doesn't exist at all. Um, right. I think where I've landed is, it is this sort of, like, taunting of, not, I don't know if taunting is the right word, but of companies knowing what they're doing, but never intending to have that payoff. So I remember when Solo, a Star Wars story came out, in the trailer, there was this, like, some shot that made you think, oh, Lando and Han are going to get together. And then you see the movie, and you're like, no, there's just nothing there, really, other than Lando right. who have sex with probably anybody. Right. Um, or anything. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. As you told the me. The Millennium Falcon. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of thing, right, I feel like at least somebody made a calculated right. decision to include that and sort of get points for being more progressive. Right. And then had no intention right. of ever actually doing it. Right. And it wasn't until recently that we see healthy relationships instead of the, again, the trope of a gay man obviously going after every heterosexual man right. and making this whole like predatory line. And, you know, instead of seeing actual healthy relationships once again, where, you know, you see just friendship and it's, uh, it's about time that we see that level. And yeah, coming out as, hey, yes, these two are together. Yes, these two discovered that they actually are in love, even though they didn't know it at the beginning. Why mm-hmm. can't that happen? Instead of it being all hidden and cloak and dagger type of situation. Right. And I, I think I would go, at least in my opinion, when I think of career baiting, there is a level of mocking to it too. Like, right. oh, well, you're just reading too much into this. Right. And then that could go straight into you just putting a gay person in there. So he's going to be the gay sidekick. We're going to put a person of color in there. That's a person of color. That's just a sidekick. She's just a byline. Right. Um, And obviously gets the secondary. Right. Whatever. So if there's a guy, you know, I love the stories where there's two guys and the guy who's the cast off goes with a lesser friend. Always. (laughs) I don't love it. I'm being sarcastic. But you know what I mean? That's kind of that whole level. And it's kind of like, uh, that was unnecessary. And it's not It's not necessarily what you want to see as a representation. And what, what's the point of this? Right. And and I know we recently released the, the classic about the barrier gaze trope. And a lot of that is intertwined in this whole conversation of, well, here's a gay relationship. But it, it never ends happy, happily. One of them <laughs> dies, and it's usually not as developed at all. I know the 100, the Lexa pledge, that comes up in, in that conversation all the time. So that's also related to this of, we'll give you this queer relationship, but only for a short time, it's not going to end happily. <laughs> right. Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Be grateful. Uh, yeah. So. Clearly a lot to say around this, a lot of debate happening, which I think is good. I'm glad we're having those conversations and we need to keep having them. Um, And we would love for you listeners to share your thoughts about any of this. Um, Also, I would love any... I'm somebody who, even though I don't ship things, I like to find the uh, most kind of out of... I would never have pictured this couple together. (laughs) Yeah. I like I like finding that kind of stuff. So if you've got any, any interesting ships you want to tell us about, please let us know. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You or on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. 
Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.